never say die! Fourteen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 254 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And when I saw The Mummy 2, I thought, well, at least I'll never see anything worse than The Scorpion King as Rock Lobster. Then came 2017, and Tom Cruise is like, hold my beer. <laughs> he doesn't drink. Spoilers. Well, Tom Cruise doesn't drink? I think that's against his religion. It, re- it changes his Thetian uh, levels. Thetan? Yeah. Oh, look at you, Mr. Scientist. We're not going to talk about Scientology because we don't want this episode to be taken off the air. No. Yeah, we don't want people coming to our house. All hail Scientology Hubbard. is a cult full of nutties. That's what I'm going to say. All hail Hubbard. If you like Scientology, and who doesn't, <laughs> you might like the shows on the Podcast Collective, such as No Hope for Humanity, <laughs> <laughs> The Coffin Joe Cat. Oh, shit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. They're well, here. They, They're here. they got Mike. <laughs> I mean, we love Scientology. <laughs> no, I Just forgot like to we... lock the rock back thing on my chair. <laughs> <laughs> and the Rat Dead Radio Hour. You almost started doing the Benny Hill song. <laughs> God. All right. So That used to be mine, remember? I don't, I don't know what happened. You gave it up, man. Eminent domain, just, bitch. And he has just bastardized it. <laughs> he used to be your thing. You lost your thing. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. All right. So, uh, to lose, man. <laughs> if you're looking for our older stuff, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com, and give us a call at 708 now wrap 708 669 Yeah. Tune into those places for more bottle rocket references. <laughs> rocket. Yes. So, uh, do we have any All listener feedback? Early Wes Anderson references, right? That's a thing. Back when he was good. Hey, he's fantastic, just like Mr. Fox. No, no, no voice With gold like this, are you shocked? I know, right? <laughs> All right, it is definitely about that time. Indeed. This week in music. Movies and TV. All right, so we're going way back to May 7th, 1999 for the release of the original, uh, well, not the original, the Brendan Fraser version of The Mummy. True. (laughs) That is a thing we are doing, and it happened then. (laughs) Here are other things that happened then. That's your cue, Joel. (laughs) Jesus. Have, have we not done this podcast 253 right, times? music, that's me, okay. The number one song in the land was No Scrubs by TLC. I hated that song when it first came out, and it has been very slowly growing on me in the last 20 years. It's uh, no Waterfalls. No, I'm, that is my least favorite TLC song, I think, of all their popular ones. Waterfalls. I would agree with that statement. No Scrubs or Waterfalls? No Scrubs. No okay. Scrubs. No, Waterfalls, waterfalls is a great song. song. Yeah. Especially after you've seen We're the Millers. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or the other guys. Oh, good, good call. Yeah. Speaking of Will Ferrell. I don't uh, want to scrub you guys. Seriously, who says that? Isn't that a, isn't that a song? <laughs> no, I don't know what you're talking about. 
So uh, on May 5th at the 34th Academy of Country Music Awards, Garth Brooks, Faith Hill, and Tim McGraw win. It's a very 90s list. Yeah. I mean, at least two out of three of them are still making music, I think. Music and Nick? I mean, music Garth Brooks doesn't have to. I think he's probably a multi-gajillionaire by now. Yeah. One of the best concerts I ever saw was a Garth Brooks concert. Hey, the man is an entertainer, and he's he, he's good at what he does. The one, the the one he did at that little tiny like two thousand seat theater at the Win. I got to go to one of those. Nice. Yeah, for free. It was like a five hundred dollar ticket. I got to go for free. It was. All. Oh, was this during his Chris Gaines phase? No, thank goodness. <laughs> That's why you got. But when he at the end of the show when he was taking requests, I almost did raise my hand and request a kiss for Chris Gaines. <laughs> but I decided I didn't want to be that guy. So. He would have punched you in the face. <laughs> I was like, I was like, all the all these guys are here at the concert. I got to see it for free. I'll just shut up and not be a jackass. <laughs> well, that's the thing. When someone brings up Garth Brooks, I want to mock him, but like just looking at like Friends in Low Places, The Thunder Rolls, The River, The Dance. Like yeah. I like all those songs. Yeah, I mean he's 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 got a great catalog. He's had great crossover potential. He's a hell of an entertainer, and he's charismatic. And one of the one of the coolest things I've ever seen a celebrity do, he did at that concert. Um, at the very end, you know, of the concert, he had, you know, everybody could stand up and give requests or ask questions or whatever. And one guy stood up and said he brought his mother, uh, his 89 year old mother. It was her birthday, and she was a huge, you know, a huge fan of his. And he brought her to Vegas to see the show for her birthday. Oh. And Garth Brooks literally took the guitar he'd been playing the entire show and took a sharpie and signed it and gave it to her. <gasps> what? Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Right, and he, and he actually played one more song, and a little bit of it got smudged, and he's all like, "I'm really sorry," and you know, and they're like, "No, we like that even more." <laughs> yeah, that's pretty that's cool. Pretty, right, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen seen a celebrity do. Like I said, so uh, trying to top that, Shel Silverstein, <laughs> prolific writer and poet, author, died at age 68 of a heart attack in Key West, Florida, on May 10th. He is buried in Norridge, Illinois, and he is sadly absorbed. Jill Silverstein is one of my favorite authors. Is because he was a huge pot enthusiast? That didn't hurt. I'm and telling you right now. Big supporter of, I think, what, like Playboy and whatnot? Yeah, he and Hugh Hefner were, were pretty much yeah. best friends. <laughs> we're pretty much like best friends, right? <laughs> I read I read Shel Silverstein's autobiography. It's very interesting. Just a, a fascinating dude. I got to support the call. <clears throat> so, yeah. What song did there was a song that he wrote? Well, which was it? A ton of he wrote a ton of songs. That's why he's in the music category. But the one you're probably thinking of is a boy named Sue. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's awesome. He wrote every, he wrote every song for um um. Oh my god, why can't I think of their name all of a sudden? Um. Oh my god. Uh, Garth Brooks. Um, meat, meatloaf. <laughs> um, cover of the Rolling Stone. They they say uh, Doctor Who and the Medicine Machine. Oh really? He wrote all their songs. Yeah. Oh neat. Hmm. You know, that bit about... Uh, Dr. Hook. Dr. Hook. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, really? Okay. Every time I hear uh, he wrote A Boy Named Sue, I'm surprised again. <laughs> like, I remember that I'd heard it before, but that piece of information just won't stick. Yeah. He wrote a, he wrote a few songs uh, for Johnny Cash, actually. And he also did a song called Three-Legged Man that was performed by Ray Stevens. <laughs> I mean, literally, like I said, prolific songwriter. He wrote, I mean... If you could write it, he did it. Whether it was a, a play, a book, a magazine, a comic book, a song, or whatever, a TV show. He, a greeting he card? Probably. Probably at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he won a Grammy for A Boy Named Sue. Nice. Fantastic. And he illustrated all his own books, too. Well, that kind of makes sense. 
I'm yep. sorry for your loss, but at this point, it's where the sidewalk ends for Grandma. Finally, in music, the paintings of Paul McCartney exhibit opened May 1st at the Liz Art Forum in Siegen, Germany? Siegen. Siegen yeah. or Siegen. The exhibit featured around 70 paintings by the former Beatle. Beatle. <laughs> the Beatles. <laughs> hey, the Beatles. All right, moving on to movies. The top movie in the land was Entrapment. Talk about 90s. Yeah, that is a very, very 90s. Is that the Harrison oh, Ford one? No, no that's Sean Connery. Connery oh, uh, that's right. I remember that. Laser scene with Captain Zeta Jones. Zeta <laughs> Douglas. Wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go look that up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Movies released this week included Election and the acronym of the week, AMND, which I'm pretty sure was... Amadeus Mozart's nasty dick. <laughs> Ew, rock me, Amadeus. <laughs> Ew, rock me, Amadeus. Ew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was. You, you were close. That it was a Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, oh right. yeah. Which actually holds a special place in all our hearts. What? Indeed. Oh. Hey, I hate to interject here, but. Um... I Do it. literally, yeah, I literally just got a email that we are now on iHeartRadio. Oh, nice. No, that's awesome. So, hooray. We heart you, iHeartRadio. All right. So, this incredibly long paragraph is for you, iHeartRadio. <laughs> Robert Oliver Reed was an English actor known for his upper middle class macho image, Hellraiser lifestyle, and tough guy roles. Notable films include The Trap, Oliver, Hannibal Brooks, portraying Athos in The Three Musketeers. Tommy, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, and Funny Bones. In what was his final film, he played Antonius Proximo, an old gruff gladiator trainer in Ridley Scott's Gladiator. For the role, he was posthumously nominated for the BAFTA Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. An alcoholic, Reed's issues with drink were well-publicized from appearances on, a on chat shows to high-profile friendship with drinking partner The Who drummer Keith Moon with the two meeting while working on Tommy. Reed died from a heart attack after a drinking match during a break from filming Gladiator in Valletta, <laughs> Malta on May 2nd. Some said he drank eight pints of lager, a dozen double rums, and half a bottle of whiskey in a match against sailors on shore leave. He was 61 years old. Are you not absorbed? <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, he died pickled. Yeah, how, many, <laughs> how much of an alcoholic are you if, if your drinking buddy is Keith Moon? <laughs> right. I know, right? What the hell? <laughs> He's just like, you need to slow down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if if Keith, Keith Moon point. tells you that you got to slow it down, you got to slow it down, man. But if you, if you want some inter an entertaining read, just do a little search on Robert uh, uh, on Robert Oliver Reed drinking stories. Huh. I may do that. But not now. Now we need to talk about Sabrina Ann Lynn Carpenter, who was an American singer, songwriter, and actress, and she was born on May 11th. She had a recurring role as the young version of Chloe Goodwin in The Goodwin Games and starred as Maya Hart in Girl Meets World. She starred also as Jenny Parker in 2016's Adventures in Babysitting. She is signed to Hollywood Records and has released three albums. Hmm. She played the best friend of the main character, the one that got stuck on the... You know, they had to go rescue... Yeah, just. It's funny. We did a whole show on adventures and babysitting, and somehow my mind was just like, "You don't need this information anymore," and has deleted all memories of it. <laughs> it was a highly polished, unnecessary remake. Yep. Yeah, that sounds like something I'd think about that gap in my memory. 
<laughs> hey, did you know Shel Silverstein wrote to Boy Named Sue? <gasps> what? <laughs> That's amazing. Wait, I knew that. How did I know that? That's the question. That's the joke. All right, TV. The top shows in the land were Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, ER, Friends, and Frasier. Because 90s. No shit. I started rewatching Frasier. So good. It still is. He is, and, and they're talking about bringing it back. In my in my um in my rewatch of it, I, I rewatched it like two years ago or so. I um I appreciated Jane Leaves very you know much more on the rewatch. Uh, I do think that's one of those shows that you go back and you expect it to be maybe almost as good as you remember it, and it's actually better. Yeah, I mean yeah. It, it's not dated at all. It's so it's so well written. It's it's still relevant and very funny, and the characters are just so good. Well, and they, you know, what I think the best thing is that they all work together so well. Yeah. You know, there's I mean, no. You could, you, could, you could tell that they really liked each other. It really seemed. I mean, their chemistry was very good. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like it. It definitely was a, uh, just like us. And 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 just perfect casting as Niles. Oh, Niles I was, just was amazing. Thinking like, why haven't we seen more out of David Hyde Pierce? I think he just picks and chooses. I don't. You know, he's not like a you know, one of those guys that accepts every role. He's he's doing a, he does a lot of uh, th- of Broadway and theater stuff. He he loves being on stage. I mean, I like the idea that he's just picky, but he was in Osmosis Jones. <laughs> that uh, that was just a saying. long time ago. <laughs> that movie was supposed to be an amazing tour de farce movie. I mean, when it, when it first came out that that movie was you know it was like a superstar cast and everything, I can't blame him for signing on because it it was supposed to be you know. Because that was, you know, that was going to be like the the return or whatever, and blah blah blah. Because I remember there was a lot of hype about that movie, I and went it to did the, not live up to it. I went to the theater to see it, so yeah. I mean, it wasn't terrible. I mean, compared to some of the shit I watch. So, all right. So, on May first, history was made as the animated series SpongeBob SquarePants debuted on Nickelodeon with an episode entitled "Help Wanted." God, I love SpongeBob. Me too. He's my favorite. Yeah, of the shows I had to watch when, like, my nephew was little, that was, like, the only one I thought was any good. My favorite line in the whole run of the show is uh, Patrick and SpongeBob talking, and Patrick comes up with some, some, some brilliant idea. SpongeBob says, Patrick, you're a genius. And Patrick says, yeah, I get called that a lot. <laughs> what, a genius? No, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Dana Michelle Plato was an American actress who played the role of Kimberly Drummond on Different Strokes from 1978 Uh-oh. to 1986. After leaving the show, Plato attempted to establish herself as a working actress with mixed success. At the age of 34, after years of struggling with poverty and substance abuse, Plato died from an overdose of prescription drugs on May 8th, the day after filming The Howard Stern Show. Absorbed. That's sad. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, probably the saddest actress story since Judy Garland. Yeah. Uh, now I'm depressed. Time to drink. She right, did uh, do a Playboy shoot before she killed herself, so, you know. There is that. Judy Good Garland? Out, no, not Judy Garland. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right. So on May 7th, the jury found the Jenny Jones show and Warner Brothers liable for the shooting death of Scott Amarud. Shooting death. Shooting death? What did I say? Shitting death. Did I? I heard shooting death, but... It sounded to me like shitting death. Like... <laughs> <laughs> this is the way I hope to go out. 
shitting death everywhere. Um, <laughs> this the show purposely deceived Jonathan Schmitz to appear on a secret same-sex crush episode, and he was later murdered. He later murdered Amador. Amador's family was awarded twenty-five million dollars. Huh? Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember that, but that was a big controversy at the time. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of fucked up all around. All right. Right after, right after it aired, he went and shot that dude. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Um, at the 45th British Academy Television Awards held on May 9th, Father Ted won Best Comedy, and The Cops won Best Drama. Father Ted is an excellent show. It I've is. heard that. I've never seen it though. It I've takes a little bit of time to get into it. Yeah, I gave it that time because I was such a big uh, Black Books fan. Mm. Black Books is amazing. I like to think that if Pat and I were British, it would turn into Black Books. But then we would have to like own a bookstore. Yeah, I think there is a very clear line from Father Ted through Black Books all the way to the IT crowd. We'd also have to be British. Pat, we'd are probably, you British? We'd probably be, be closer to train spotting. <laughs> Shut up, man. Let me live in my fantasy. <laughs> if we had grown up in England. <laughs> yeah. It would pretty much. Yeah, I'd be train spotting. Oh, God. Drink again. <laughs> Moving on to sports. Sports. On, on May 2nd, John Elway, one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history, retired from the NFL. He led the Denver Broncos to five Super Bowl appearances and two victories and was known for performing his best in the clutch. I've I mean, heard of that guy. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure you guys have even heard of John Elway. And I was just trying to think, when you say one of, who else is even in the conversation? Um, Joe Montana. Okay. Um, Joe Montana? <laughs> uh, Brett, Brett Favre is in the conversation. <laughs> You're not going to convince many people from Illinois of that fact. Steve Young. Um, Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Hmm. Tom Brady. Those are, those, those are your top tier guys. Johnny Unitas still. All right, moving on. Um, on May 10th, the Boston Red Sox beat the Seattle Mar- Mariners. 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 I almost said Marinara for some reason. <laughs> Seattle Marinara. <laughs> that's, what, that's what threw me. I was like, Seattle Mariners. I'm going to start that line over. Fix that in post, Mike. No. On May 10th, the Boston Red Sox beat the Seattle Mariners 12-4 to as shortstop Nomar Garciaparra hit three home runs, including two grand slams. One in the first inning and one in the eighth. I'm really glad Nomar. I didn't have to read that. <laughs> Nomar was the ninth player in MLB history to hit two Grand Slams in the same game. Grand Slam. <laughs> you guys know what a Grand Slam is, right? Yes, we know what a Grand Slam I say, is. I don't have to go that basic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We, we may not be sports fans, but we do know at least Well, that. I'm just trying to establish where exactly the line is. I mean, even if halfway through that, most of us were convinced that it was the cricket fact of the week. <laughs> Play us off, keyboard, Joel. Nah, 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 nah. Ew. All right, we are back, and we're going to talk about The Mummy, 1999. True. <laughs> Thanks for that the backup, was, Pat. That was 19 <laughs> years ago. Jesus, tell me about it. That's Holy crap. <laughs> a year later, my kid was born. <laughs> um, and if it wasn't for Brendan Fraser and his sexy, sexy ways, that may not have never happened. Whoa. What? Oh, I'm sorry. Know. That was the thing. I faded away. All right. So, an English librarian called Evelyn Carhan, Carnaharnarn, Carnaharnarn, becomes Evelyn, becomes interested in starting an archaeological dig at the ancient city of Hamanuptra. She gains the help. Did you get that right? <laughs> he didn't. It's oh, okay. How am I going? What did I say? 
This is what happened when Joel's, Joel takes too long getting back. I drink too much. Ham and Optra. Ham and Optra. Ham Ham and Optra. Yes, Ham and Optra. Keep going. She gains the help of <laughs> Jesus. She gains the help of Rick O'Connell after saving him from his death. What Evelyn, her brother Jonathan, and Rick are unaware of is that another group of explorers are interested in the same dig. Unfortunately for everyone, this group ends up unleashing a curse which has been laid upon the dead high priest Imhotep. Now the mummy is awake, and it's going to take a lot more than guns to send him back to where he came from. That was written by film fan on imdb because wow. his description was actually better than the imdb version as it is i wonder if he's a, a fan of film i wonder he just might be a fan made of film oh like the film you find on teeth yes maybe yeah. that would be that would be plaque fan yeah. tagline the sands will rise the heavens will part the power will be unleashed um the legend you know the adventure you have yet to imagine that's kind of terrible uh, adventure is reborn. I like that one. Uh, prepare, beware, behold. That's what Patrick says before he invites somebody into his bedroom. No, that's what I say before I take a shit. <laughs> beware. <laughs> Uncover the secret, unlock the legend, unleash the power. Release the Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, death is only the beginning. Those are much. That's t- the best tagline. Death and that's only- the one I remember. Yeah. That's probably the one that everybody saw the most. So, uh, this is written by, or I'm sorry, directed by Stephen Summers. Uh, you may know him as doing Deep Rising, GI Joe, and the much underrated Odd Thomas. Oh yes, very good film. Odd Thomas is fantastic. I don't know. I'd say very, but I read the book first, so I was a little. Anyway, yeah. Anyway. I don't think I know that movie. Well, yeah, it, it's definitely better than I expected it to be. That's fair. Uh, so this is written by. Stephen Summers and a bunch of other people. Uh, though I want to go to John L. Balderson, who was the original writer of the 1932 screenplay, who also wrote Frankenstein, Last of the Mohicans, and Gaslight. Which, if you haven't seen Gaslight, that's a great movie. And he's still getting credit. Oh, went... <laughs> go ahead, get it out. I thought that was the George Clinton song. <laughs> Jesus. I thought he was saying G H A S T light. Gas light. Drop light. All right. Jesus. <laughs> wow, 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 yippee, oh, yippee, <laughs> What the hell, dude? <laughs> All right. So this stars A1 Brendan Fraser as Rick O'Connell, Rachel Wise as Evelyn Carnahan. <laughs> John Carnahan. Carnahan. John Hanna as Jonathan Carnahan. Arnold Voslow? Voslow? Yeah, Voslow. Voslow as Imhotep. Kevin J. O'Connor as Benny. Jonathan Hyde as Dr. Alan Chamberlain. Oded Fair as Ardeth Bay. Uh, little note, they never actually say his name in the entire movie. You don't find out what his name is until the second movie. Ah. Yeah. Eric Avardi, Avardi as the ever-put-upon... <laughs> I, I don't know. I love this guy. Does Dr. Terrence Bay. The second he burned that map, I was like, this guy's up to something. Yeah, he's bad. Right. <laughs> that was a little too convenient there, Mr. Deeds. Um, yeah, and he seemed to not really give a shit. Yeah. As, as an archaeologist, you know, and as, he, he should have been freaking out a little more that he just burned a 5,000-year-old map. I know. He was kind of like, oh, that sucks. Oh, uh, well, what, what you going to do? 
See you later, kids. <laughs> well, yeah, and plus, he's in a lot of stuff, and he's usually a shady character. Not always. He's either a shady character or, like, the principal. Yeah, he, he's almost like a uh, Indian Clancy Brown. Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's a great parallel right there. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. All right, and then the Americans. Uh, Stephen Dunham as Mr. Henderson. Corey Johnson as Mr. Daniels. Tuke Watkins as Mr. Burns. Excellent. Thank you. And Omid Dijali as Warren God Hassan. All of us know as the guy who first encountered the Beatles. Oh. Yeah. Not the band. Yeah. So, um, I, would, I was thinking the Ed Sullivan. Uh, I was going to say, I, I remember Omid Dijali best as the guy who was like the slave master in Gladiator. Well, that's I'm about talking the only other thing this dude is in, besides the mummy. Well, he was in Casanova and The Nutcracker and the Four Realms. Oh, uh, that's coming out. Yeah. Have you seen the trailer for that? That actually looks badass. I, ha- I have seen the trailer, and it does look really good. I, mean, I hope it's as good as the trailer looks. So, anyway. Anyway, moving on. Trivia. Brendan Fraser nearly died during the scene where the character was hanged in the prison scene. Rachel well, Wise remembered that he, Frazier, stopped breathing and had to be recitated. So I looked up a little bit on this trivia. I found a uh, news article from back in 1999 for this. So early on in the Made in Marrakesh adventure, Frazier's character is hanged on a gallows. What happens on the set during take one, however, wasn't scripted. According to Frazier, they killed me for 18 seconds. Uh, he says, I was hanging from the noose and standing on a board, Frazier explains, because who doesn't once in a while? Uh, take one, and Steve Summers said, the noose doesn't match the stunt guys. Can we bring up the tension a little bit, and we'll have it. They did the take, and the camera was on a spin that goes 180 degrees, and it shows the prisoner shouting, and then it comes down on me at the end of the noose. I figured... I'll get oxygen and hold my breath. And I was up on my toes, and something went wrong. The next thing I knew, I was waking up. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, so how does Frazier feel in retrospect now that he's had a near-death moment? He says, I didn't like it, and it hurt. <laughs> so apparently the board slipped out, and they actually hung him for 18 seconds. Jesus. When are these productions going to stop trying to hang their their actors? Because... They almost hung Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future too. I know, right? When are we, I mean, what, seriously? Do you know what we would have lost if we had lost Brendan Fraser? We would have never gotten George of the Jungle, dude. Too or soon. his his run on uh, uh, Scrubs, which actually was good. Yeah, I do not malign George of the Jungle. I won't line it in any kind of way. I'm watching you. All right. So in one scene, Benny is shown with a sack full of gold, which he's trying to load onto a camel, and Benny pulls the camel by the reins, and the camel doesn't budge. All the camels, for some reason, all hated Kevin J. O'Connor. He's sketchy. <laughs> so that's that actually kind of understandable there, really. Um, Patrick, I put this one in for you. Uh, the white nightgown that Evelyn wore when the ship was attacked became transparent when it got wet and uh, actually had to be digitally painted white during post-production so the film could keep its PG-13 rating. Where's the unrated version? Right. I don't know. Could you imagine being that guy? We need you to edit these frames. What? Yeah, you'll know. (laughs) (laughs) Don't take them home. It's the guy in the corner just going, oh. Um, In the scene in the beginning where Imhotep is mummified, a completely freaked out actor, Arnold Vosloo, he had to be in bandages for four hours to film the scenes where he's wrapped and put in his tomb. So he was wrapped to be mummified for four hours. That would would kind of freak out pretty much it. 
I'm going to say, after a while, everybody, unless they just got to go to sleep. Unless that's your fetish. Patrick? They're all my fetish. So. No. Oh, there Where you go. go. Thanks, Fred. Um, <laughs> Brendan Fraser was cast due to the success of George of the Jungle. I rescind my previous statement. Uh, Stephen Summers also commented that he felt... Yeah, we would have already got George of the Jungle. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. All right. Shut up. Ah. All right. Stephen Summers also commented that he felt Fraser fit the Errol Flynn swashbuckling character he had envisioned perfectly. The actor understood that his character doesn't take himself too seriously, otherwise the audience can't go on that journey with him. Otherwise you get Alan Quartermain. Yes. Romancing the Stone? Nah, not... He didn't take himself very seriously. Nah. I would say that actually, like, comparing his portrayal in this to the same to that ca- same kind of character in Romancing the Stone is a pretty good comparison, though. Yeah. Where he doesn't take himself too seriously, and that's why it works. I think that's part of the charm of Brendan, Fraser, Brendan Fraser's character, is that it his characters always have that kind of you-can-connect-with-him type of feel to it. Like, he's he's in over his head, and he kind of makes you feel like you're along for the ride. He's a good everyman. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yet he can be the hero. That you cast him in the next uh, um, Big Trouble in Little China remake. Instead of The Rock? Instead of The Rock. Oh, shit. That would be fantastic. Because Jack wasn't supposed to be this guy that was <laughs> jacked. No. He, oh, I see what you did there. No, I mean, that's, and that's part of the thing. I mean, for the Big Trouble in Little China thing, it's he was completely... You, can, you hear it in the voiceover part when they talk about the movie, is that his whole concept was that he was the hero that was actually the sidekick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think Rick O'Connell definitely is... They, they wanted to take the baseline of Indiana Jones and just go a little more campy with it. And I think it came off as really charming. I do, too. And I, I think do. that's... Go ahead, Joel. I was going to say, I think that's a good word to describe his character. Is is charming. He just you just want to watch what he's doing no matter what he's doing whether it's looking at a map or shooting two guns or just hanging out that's that's the thing i liked about this about his character that i that i like about um rick o'connell in this is rick o'connell seems like the guy that you can sit and have a beer with harrison yeah, ford you watch your wallet while you're doing it. oh completely like Harrison Ford, like Indiana Jones, you feel you can sit and have a beer with him, but he would be really kind of irritated that you didn't understand everything he was talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah, he would be intimidating as as much as I love Indy. Yeah, I think I so, think Rick is much more on on the like you said on the ever every man level of this is what's going on. I'm going to deal with it right now. What's exciting to me about this whole thing is obviously the three of us, Joel, myself, and Mike, have seen this movie a whole bunch of times and have some feelings about it. But Pat had never seen this before, which totally blew my mind. <laughs> my mind is a little blown, too. I saw this in the theater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just never hit my radar. I'm not a big fan of mummies as a genre and not a big Brendan Fraser fan. I didn't know who Richard was at the time. I mean, I like Brendan Fraser plenty enough, but it's not... He's not going to draw me to any movie. Well, I mean, this this was the film that if any of them were going to do it, this would be the one. This was like his breakout into superstardom, the, as brief as that moment was for him. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'd like to hear more about, like, first watching. Yeah. What What do you think? Um, I thought it was entertaining. It was a little bit, um, little bit goofy at times, but for the most part, very entertaining. Uh, the special effects were pretty good for being almost 20 years old. Uh, they held up really well, you know, as compared to like a lot of stuff from that time period that does not hold up so well, like the 
prequel shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, overall, I enjoyed it. It was very fun. Um, I mean, it, it really didn't like hit any kind of ooh. That was I'm glad I watched it kind of thing. I mean, I, it just was just a movie that I watched. I didn't find it anything special, to be honest with you. I enjoyed it. I mean, that's kind of a shame to me because for me, this was like the cornerstone of late '90s, early 2000s action films. This, I say, would be in my top five campy adventure movies. So you've got Big Trouble in Little China, <laughs> The Mummy, and I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Oh, Buckaroo um, Banzai. Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah. Like, there's my top three campy adventure movies right there. Time Bandits. Time, yeah. I mean, well, Time Bandits, I don't know, that leans a little bit more towards British comedy. But, I mean, that's still got that campy kind of feel to it. But, I mean, it's got... What I like about it is the... Uh, Buckaroo Banzai, Rick, and uh, Jack all have that very much human element to them. Whereas, like, Indiana Jones, as awesome as he is, he's like a super intelligent, you know, not-on-our-level type of guy. Yeah, I mean, he is the personification of the pulp action hero. And, I mean, this is another very, very pulpy kind of thing. Instead of going through jungles and temples work confined to the whole mythos of the adventures around the curse of the mummy and all the Egypt stuff. Mm. And I think it works. I actually think that's why it starts to go off the rails. Once you get into the sequels, which I, I enjoyed the sequels personally, but um, you know, it kind of was one upping itself, but yeah, I think pulp is another good way to look at it. Cause it does very much have that kind of dime store novel feel to it. Um, but with enough modern elements that it's uh, it holds its own. And mm-hmm. when you look at the special effects, uh, the uh, Scorpion King was standing. Um, there's some moments where it's a little cringy considering the Matrix came out the same year. But um, it, it, like I mean, the the soldiers and things like that are, are on point. I think the only things that kind of fall short are the actual mummy himself. There's some scenes where I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Didn't age so well, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but I can, I mean, if you take into account 1999, you can kind of forgive it that. Yeah, because The Matrix did come out, but The Matrix was like its time's avatar where it pushed the envelope for what was possible. It wasn't what was like typical. Yeah, that was that was cutting edge for 1999. It created special effects. <laughs> Like yeah. how to do them. This movie used special effects, but that movie created it. Yeah. They created a whole new way of doing special effects that got completely used for the next 12, 15 years. Um, I just want to, with this one, want to call out to John Hanna on this one because Jonathan yes. is one of my favorite characters. Well, I just love John Hanna in general. This is the movie that turned me on to him. Yeah, I, I think looking back on it, I like, I've always liked Jonathan, but I like John Hanna his portrayal more and Benny has is less funny than I thought he was. Oh, completely. Yeah. Benny, I think was, was Benny was an asshole. Yeah. Benny was an ass, but he had to be the, 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 the snivelly turncoat. Right. And I remember just <laughs> him being one of those characters that I thought was hilarious and you love to hate him. And now it's just kind of like, uh, my memory was better than the reality. Mm-hmm. Now, John Hanna with the whole scene where he's coming out of the museum and the crowd goes by him and he starts chanting, Imhotep. And pretending to be a zombie. Uh, and they all just walk right past him. I, that I didn't think was that funny then. And now I don't know why I found it hilarious. It was pretty funny. 
Well, real quick on the Benny thing. Uh, when I watched it this time, I was really happy when he died. Although his death was pretty freaking brutal. It was. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it too long, I, it it gives me like because I, I don't want to be buried alive or eaten by beetles, right? Or eaten by skin um, burrowing beetles. So the fact that he's in the dark, trapped in something he can't get out of, that the oxygen is slowly suffocating. But he got to eat the beetles later, so he got his revenge. Okay. I'm. <laughs> Jokes on you. I'm eating you now. Everybody in the film was was uh, was good casting. Mm-hmm. Um, Odette Fair, again, one of the first movies I saw him in, which he carried over into the Resident Evil franchise and did a mm-hmm. nice job. He's oh, well. always a badass. Yeah, I mean, he's either Carlos or Ardeth. Uh, and this one, he just, I mean, the the quiet badass with the uh, where he pulls the gun off the uh, machine gun off the airplane at the very end when that when the airplane sinks into the sand. Yeah, yeah. Just, it was just like, all right, you're even more badass. And then he gets thrown into the tunnel full of zombies, and then later just reappears without a scratch on him. Yeah, like you think he's sacrificed himself, and oh crap, that guy was awesome. We're never gonna see him again. Nope. Yeah, he just took them all down. Doesn't matter how. And he just does it so casually when he takes the gun off. Just like, no, I'll take this. <laughs> yeah, he did, he was pretty like, this is mine now. Right, exactly. Um, but it's, I think it was just kind of right place, right time. Right script, right director. Because I watched the, um, the special features, and Stephen Summers was talking about, this was an old EPK from right after the movie was released, um, talking about how he'd always been a fan of The Mummy, and it was like a not quite a passion project for him. But as soon as he heard that they were doing it, he petitioned to be the director. And he's kind of hit and miss sometimes. But again, I think because he loved the source material so much and he got all the right people that also loved the source material, it just all kind of meshed into this kind of perfect storm, all pun intended. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can agree with you. Um, one person who I forgot to put on this was um, Bernard Fox as Captain Havelock. Oh, <laughs> I was like, wait, who? <laughs> yeah, uh, he was in Titanic. I. That character, I I loved him so much. He was charming. He was, you know, he's he he's died at eighty nine a few years ago, but he was the sole survivor of a, a raid that had gone wrong, and all of the other members of his squad had died, and he was just looking for an honorable way to die so he can join them. I just like that character a lot. And it's it's funny how much of an impression he kind of leaves, even though he's really not on the screen that much. No, he's got the scene in the bar and the scene where he's sitting out in the middle of the desert with his airplane. I mean, it's exactly. But it was, I mean, the first time you meet him, it was so transparent what was going to happen with his character. It wasn't really like a character arc; it was more like a character arrow. Yeah, but the thing is, they in, they didn't make him super uh, martyrish. Yeah, they didn't dwell on his sacrifice. It was just like that. This is what this character has to do. Yeah, this is the reason he was the the only reason this character. I'm not saying it makes him any less interesting. It just. It was it was just incredibly obvious writing is all. Oh no, I mean he like like Josh said his whole purpose in the movie was to fly them from point A to point B and die. Right. Yeah, and that's the thing is, given that his ending was fairly obvious, a lesser actor would have made his character pointless. I and I, I yeah, I think his portrayal is what saved a character that probably didn't get his just due in the script. I can give you that. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And the thing is, this this movie really did it's it scratches an itch for me. 
You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things where it's like I want to watch an adventure movie, but I don't want to be too absorbed in it. Because if I put on Indiana Jones, any one of the indie movies, I'm going to put it on, expect that I can like go walk around the house, you know, make dinner or do whatever and have it on in the background. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to sit the, down. The second you're like, oh, I love this scene. You're going to sit down and watch it. And exactly. Like, oh, I love this scene. And, and then the pork loin burns. You know, that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> This is one of those movies where you don't, you know what's going to happen. It's everything is telegraphed, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, there's so many great moments in this. Like after the boat burns, you know, they jump off the boat. Hey, Rick, looks like I've got all the horses. Hey, Benny, looks like you're on the wrong side of the river. I mean, it's that, that kind of exchange that really super cheesy type of interactions. I love I love that, that kind of thing. And I think that's kind of why I just kind of meh about this movie. I'm like, cause it's very formulaic. I honestly <laughs> hope we're due for a resurgence. Like if this was the second coming of the pulp action story, that 1920s, 1930s, two fisted kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I hope we're due for like another big blockbuster in that vein. Yeah. Uh, this give me this, give me Sam Spade. You know, give me some uh, a noir detective stories and that sort of thing. Let's have a resurgence of that. I'm with you on that. So, well, from this time period, um, I just love the look and the feel of this and the Rocketeer, kind of in, in the same breath, kind of that. Oh shit, the Rocketeer. Pulpy yeah, dinosaur. although I don't know, I'd call the Rocketeer so much pulp is more like Flash Gordony, Silver Age, neo futurist action. It, it, it's kind of a cousin, very close cousin to pulp. Mm-hmm. But it looks and kind of has some similar tones to the the, the era sure. is the era holds holds true to both movies. And they're both kind of in that kind of fun, little off kilter sort of thing. Um, there's a lot more action in the Mummy than there is in the Rocketeer, but for sure, I would say the spiritual, like as the Mummy is to Indiana Jones, you've got uh, oh, uh, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow is to the Rocketeer. Yep, write that down. Oh yeah, <laughs> somebody write that down. We is, gotta do is that. Is that another show? That's a show. <laughs> you heard it here first, kids. Right. No, and you know what? I, what I like about these characters is that whether you've got the Rocketeer or whether you've got, you know, Jude Law's Sky Captain and all that, it seems like every single one of these characters does what they do with a, a wink and a nod at at you, at the audience. And I kind of think that that comes almost less from the pulp novel, but where the pulp novel went to the radio play, you've got the radio plays kind of influence there where they kind of have to almost directly address the audience to get across what they're trying to do. And that translates to the screen. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that's where the, the kind of genealogy of that sort of story goes, or I could just be talking out of my ass. It just, it <laughs> feels like, <laughs> no, no. It, it. I mean, well, yeah. You. I mean, uh, it's a fifty-fifty shot whether or not you're talking out of your ass at any one given moment. But still, at the same time, I agree with you. I yes. agree with Josh's ass, <laughs> which is not something we say very often. Yeah. I definitely not the title of my sex tape. <laughs> no, we're back to that already. I, I am definitely disagreeing with Josh's ass. Just to go on. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> so, Pat. Is this is this one of those movies that you would if it came on you would just leave on in the back background or would you change the channel? I would probably look for something else. <sighs> That's unfortunate. I I, it, I mean it's not going to be for everybody, but I didn't hate it. It just I, it, it it I I pretty much I nothinged it. 
was like, uh, okay. when, it, when it was done, I was like, okay, well, that was a movie I watched. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of us held out the hope that you'd have the love for it that we do, but... Uh, <laughs> I think if I had seen it back then, I probably would have a stronger place in my heart. That's fair. Yeah, because uh, back then, it was more like a love song to the Indiana Jones movies. You know, it was kind of, it was a little bit more of a uh, a tip of the hat. Yeah, and I can see that. And sure. that, in being that, it would have had to be, like, really bad. Like, Cor- Alan Quartermain, bad, for me not yeah. to love it. Yeah, man, how bad was that movie? Yeah, if you can't sell me on King Solomon's Minds, <laughs> you really can't sell anybody. I mean, every character in that movie was just wooden and awful. I don't no know. Spoilers ever... for the second half. <laughs> I don't know that I've never seen it. You've never seen Alan King Solomon's Minds? No, I don't think I have. Wow. Oh, my God. Uh, well, with the way you guys are talking about it, I don't think I'm going to. No, you need to see this. This is right up your alley. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't think it's terrible in the particular ways that Joel enjoys yeah, terrible. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if he would necessarily enjoy it. Mm. There's no tongue in cheek. It's all tongue. <laughs> Let's get some cheek in there. <laughs> Throw a Sharknado at him or something. <laughs> hey, Quartermain versus Sharknado. Dude, I might actually watch that. <laughs> all right, I don't. I don't even know where to take that. <laughs> I don't either. Things got weird. All right. So shall we move on? I mean, do we have anything else to say about this? I mean, I, I don't want to get too far off on a tangent because like, as oh, you know what? Let's talk just a little bit. We haven't really talked at all about Rachel Wise, aside from wishing we could see the unedited yeah. footage. Because like her performance, I, I think she really, really uh, did a good job of towing that line between precocious and annoying and adorable. Well, and they- the way... Her character was written. She could have fallen off that line. They started off the movie trying to showcase how she's a klutz and everything. And then they never really even addressed that ever again. I thought it was going to come into play a couple of times, like when they were doing chases or whatever that she was going to, you know, or, you know, she, like, I don't know. I just expected that to actually be more of a plot point And then they never really touched it again. You mean after she destroys a library? Yeah. Which, to her point, they did that in one shot. Hmm. What? Well, because but, I mean, they, he may, I mean, the professor comes in and makes a point of saying, like, you're always breaking and destroying things, you know. But I mean, so I'm like, OK, well, this is going to be a plot point, but it never it's never really addressed again. I think they went for a different uh, direction with that idea that, like, you think she's super bookish and academic, so she would be totally a fish out of water. But the reality is that she accidentally destroys libraries but you get her out in the field and she's surprisingly competent mm-hmm. i think that's what they were going for instead of this being her shtick her tragic flaw that always comes up in slapsticky situations yeah i think i think i would have liked her character less if it what they played off the oh whatever clumsiness that could possibly happen is going to happen to her yeah and so. i was afraid that that was going to be what they did and i'm glad they didn't same here now I will say in the second movie, um, it the the running against the sun scene takes a little bit of trying to get over it type of thing. Um, there's Pat in the in the second one, there they have a son now, and he, and Brendan Fraser is trying to save his son because if the rising sunlight touches him, he dies. So he's the sun is coming up and he is running across a jungle 
with the sun rising behind him and he is outrunning the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there were some interesting ideas in the second one, but I, I, even the first time I watched it and I was still in the post just saw this movie glow. How do you biff casting Dwayne Johnson as a character called the Scorpion King and instead of actually using him, have this horrid CGI abomination that sort of looks like him? That... Well, I think it was they wanted so badly to not have to do a practical effect. I think because it's a post-Matrix world after that, where they're like, if we can do this digitally, that would be so awesome. Yeah, and instead instead of looking half like a centaur, scorpion, Dwayne Johnson, he, he looked like the Rock Lobster. <laughs> <laughs> looked like a wax figure. You said Rock Lobster. It was so Oh, that was I was making that joke the day after the movie came out. I just remember watching it thinking... Because I, like I said, I enjoyed all three of them, but as it was going, I'm like, yeah, nice, cool. We get more mummy stuff. I'm like, I don't know who this rock guy is, but seems pretty cool. And then all of a sudden, it's like, did did what just what 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 was, and why? <laughs> yeah, it was just so because I'm like, even the effects from the one that was a couple years before were leaps and bounds better than this. How did this get done? How did this get out of the studio? It's Be- like that. Okay. Sorry. I was gonna say it's it's like the the woman who did the uh, the retouch of the painting of of the Virgin Mary. Oh yeah, completely. <laughs> not not the Virgin Mary. The um. Oh yeah, it was the Virgin Mary. Was it? It just looked like a monkey afterwards. Yeah, no, it was it was Christ. Oh, that's right. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. yeah. Eche homo versus eche mono. Yes. Yes. Um. After this, one of the trivia that I didn't put in here was after this released the producer the studio called the director and producers like the day after and was like we're gonna need another one so they were like look at all the money we can make we're yeah. gonna need and, a bigger script right. and it's a little sad what the uh instant superstardom did to brendan fraser yeah like kinda... i'm not gonna bring us down by going into depth on the brendan fraser article but uh <clears throat> if you're a fan you should read it even yeah. though it will make you sad yeah, so uh, this is the trivia. As according to Stephen Summers, Universal phoned him the morning after this was released and said, we need another one. So, That's all right. Uh, so, yeah, we'll uh, be back in a little bit, and we're going to talk about, oh, hey, you know what would make The Mummy even better? Let's put Tom Cruise in it. <laughs> and let him control that. every aspect of the production. Right. Uh, we will be back in a little bit, and we're going to talk about The Mummy 2000 and. It doesn't even matter. Um, <laughs> Tune in to see if we liked it. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> if you did, I should <laughs> Hello, we're back, and we're going to talk about The Mummy 2017, because... What movie can't be made better by putting Tom Cruise in it? Schindler's List. Oh, oh, wow, that got well. Okay, <laughs> show me the Jews. Show me. I don't know. <laughs> Twelve Years a Slave. Uh, you should stop guessing. <laughs> yes, Annie. Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> yes, normally I'd go through anything to avoid talking about this movie, but Patrick has proven me wrong. <laughs> All right. As so I am to do. <laughs> this one has two taglines. Welcome to a new world of gods and monsters, which that we will get to later. 
and Ancient Evil Returns. Uh, this is directed by Alex Kurtzman, uh, who produced um, Sleepy Hollow. He was also the producer on Star Trek uh, Director on The Mummy and Star Trek Discovery, which for one episode. He yes, has this was his directorial debut yes. correct, for a feature film. Lots of production, not so much on the directing side. Um, and he looks like he's got, a, as Patrick said, looks like he has a Pomeranian on the top of his head. <laughs> uh, it is writing credits, a whole bunch of people, and an ampersands and that sort of thing. Starring Tom Cruise as Nick Morton. Of Morton Steakhouse. No. Oh. Morton Salt? Maybe. <laughs> I've met the Morton Steakhouse people. I know those guys. Of the New Hampshire Mortons. Yes. The, oh. I, I'd go with that. Um, a surprisingly Russell Crowe as Henry Jekyll. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really think it was him at first. I thought it was like a lookalike. I know. When he walked in, I was like, is that really? Yeah. Uh, and he was only there briefly, so I didn't wasn't 100% sure, and I didn't feel like... Same here. It wasn't until he came back that I was like, that is Russell Crowe. Yeah, and I didn't feel like leaning forward and picking up the remote to rewind it. Um, Did you really realize it was him? Well, it, I kind of knew it was. It was kind of like, oh, wow, is that the gladiator? Huh. Uh, maybe? I don't it know. Looks like, it, looks like, it looks like Philip Seymour Hoffman is playing Russell Crowe. <laughs> playing... <laughs> Russell Crowe has gone so far down the tubes that he looks like Philip Seymour Hoffman is playing him. <laughs> Quote of the day. Right there. Uh, Annabelle Wallace is Jenny Halsley. Sophia Boutella as Ahmed. Jake Johnson as Sergeant Vale. Courtney B. Vance as Colonel Greenway. And Marzan Kanzari as Malik. All right. So, trivia. The zero gravity scene where they're crashing the plane which took 64 takes and was shot for two days in a falling plane. Reportedly, a lot of the crew got nauseous during the scene and vomited, except for the main stars, Tom Cruise and Annabelle Wallace, who were really proud of the stunt. And they should be. It was a good stunt. It was. And I'm glad they actually did it in a falling plane versus doing CGI. And the whole crash scene was pretty intense, too. Yeah, it yeah. was. I really you know, didn't think they were going to pull through with it, you know. And I was like, oh, shit, it really is going to crash. Like, <laughs> there there were some decent visuals and some interesting, like, shot framing cinematography things. I'm trying to find good things to say about this film. The effects were really well done. Yeah, visually, I mean, it's a it's a good-looking movie. Yeah, and I mean, to, to be fair, I initially started it, I was like, okay, this isn't bad. But as it progressed, I went, okay, this isn't good. <laughs> and I think what what really pushed me over the edge was I liked Russell Crowe somewhat as Jekyll, but when he went full hide, I went, I tuned out. That was. Uh, I disagree, but let's finish the trivia. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. So this film intended to be the first installment in the possible Universal Monsters shared universe, also known as the Dark Universe. Meh. So here's the thing. There is currently an announced Invisible Man, Dracula, Frankenstein, Hunchback, Phantom of the Opera, Van Helsing film, all currently announced, all being produced. Like by... all in one film? I thought they were canceled. No, it's it doesn't say that they're canceled. It says that they're announced, but there's no date, and they're all produced by Mr. Weimariner head himself, Alex Kurtzman. So... 
whether or not they're canceled, IMDb does not show. It's just kind of like a maybe they're in a kind of limbo. In production hell. Yeah. This may be until everybody forgets about this movie, but damn if we will let people forget about this movie. So the film's tagline, Welcome to a New World of Gods and Monsters, is a quote from Bride of Frankenstein, 1935, which is also produced by Universal and was supposed to be the next installment in the Dark Universe franchise. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, Tom Cruise character, Nick Morton. So uh, Nick Morton was ultimately, was ultimately named Nick Morton, but they originally named him Tyler Colt. Jesus. Oof, it, it could get worse. Yeah, seriously. Uh, the book that, this is the only portion of the movie that I laughed out loud at, the book that Jenny knocks Dr. Jekyll's henchman out with is in his library is the book of Amun-Ra from the 1999 The Mummy. Hmm. Had to rewind it. I know. I noticed they had the key pattern. Yeah, they had the key and they rewind it. Awesome. There's a, they paid homage to it. That gets a quarter of a star from me. Uh, Nick's relationship with his friend Chris is a direct riff of the film American Werewolf in London. That yeah, film, I thought that a lot. Actually. Oh yeah, immediately I thought of that. Uh, in in the film, David and Jack confront a werewolf. Jack is killed and David is bitten. David is then haunted by Jack's rotting ghost, who tells him he's cursed and advises him what to do. Uh, in the Mummy, Nick is cursed. Chris dies, and then his ghost follows him around to advise him and has comic banter. Um, the first thing I, the second he came back from the dead and was talking to him, that you know, that kind of like buddy way i immediately thought of american werewolf in london and then immediately so wanted to watch american werewolf in london <laughs> so did i <laughs> but um hold on one second i'm scrolling down here but jake johnson is a very i like him i like him too it's a shame they didn't give him a character to play <laughs> which, he started out with potential but once he was dead it kind of died and i think that was kind of my issue with just about everybody in the film it's like i can't say that the acting was bad it was just that the characters had zero depth they were barely sketches mm-hmm. and they were they were all like paper thin like patrick's typical complaint <clears throat> about movies where everything is just sort of set up to justify the next cool shot or action scene that's what this was and just hearing about uh, all the script problems and the production problems because uh, Alex Kurtzman was not a, an experienced enough director to handle this blockbuster kind of tentpole movie. And then basically Tom Cruise, who in his contract had all this creative control, swooped in, rewrote uh, most of the script to uh, cut back the uh, Aminette's part so he had equal screen time. Uh, he did most of the direction and some of that apparently was good. Cause if he hadn't, the production wouldn't have finished anywhere near on time or budget, but like it, it was basically, he, he took what the movie was supposed to be and pushed it way in the direction of a vaguely mummy flavored, just Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. It <laughs> so, was like, it was like mission. M. Uh, I'm trying to come up with mush, a good... mission. Impossible. Mum possible. Mum possible. There you Mummy go. Mummy impossible. Mummy impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I like that show on uh, DY, the HGTV network. <laughs> Mummy impossible. <laughs> but yeah, it just it, it felt very much like a a you know formulaic Tom Cruise action movie where he hey. got to do all the cool stuff and you know all the cool stunts and all the cool special effects and everything. But the thing was is that. While he's doing this, it's interspersed with these kind of weird 
a Jack Burton-esque, I don't know what's going on moments. Well, I think they were trying to blend a little bit of the 97 flavor into the original uh, Boris Karloff take with, and and it just, you kind of got to go one way or the other because the original Universal Mummy is arguably my favorite of the Universal Monster films. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. This had some echoes of that that they were trying to kind of let shine through that just got drowned in the Tom Cruisiness of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I will I will honestly admit that I I wouldn't say I'm a fan of Tom Cruise, but I don't dislike Tom Cruise like yeah. a lot of people do. I don't either. Yeah, I like him. Well, uh, I was, my point being was, was I was going to say, uh, in this particular movie, I really felt like he was, like, there, there was so much where you could just see him acting, where normally I don't get that out of him. And, and in this movie, like, the whole, like, him struggling against his inner demons... <clears throat> You know, every time he went through that, it, it felt it felt very forced. Well, the whole ending, the whole th- the whole last part of the third act was. Oh yeah, we'll painful. get to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was prepared to have my uh, expectations so low that if I didn't like it, I would say, you know, this wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, and it unfortunately turned out to be worse. And it just made me sad because there were some ideas that were really good, and then they're just like, let's not define the mummies powers because mummies are all about crows and spiders for some reason and just rats yeah i mean it's what? if it's and a were just, well i mean and, and let's just be honest there was never a mummy at all nothing was ever wrapped up in anything no i mean she was sort of mummyish for a little bit yeah for a tiny bit and then yeah like there were awesome ideas i like the idea of the glass uh reverting back to sand so you could have a sandstorm in london that was that pretty was neat cool. Yeah, and that fall, but that falls into the you know the images and the gra- and the effects were really cool, um, like the scenery and the set pieces. The whole um, I forgot the name of the base. The hell was that thing called? That's right. We know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know. I, I they kind of mumbled it, and I didn't care enough to rewind to it, Russell Crowe's lair. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it had this whole like men of letters type feel to it, where it's a creation of. Kind of supernatural, the TV show esque, where a whole group of people all out there to fight the monsters that lurk in the dark, and the whole idea of it's all being led by Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, was I thought was pretty cool. And yeah, if you hadn't included the Tom Cruise, you know, Russell Crowe gives some exposition, and you know, you get a little bit more in depth on the secret society that protects us from the evil that lurks in the shadows, and Tom Cruise looks cool. And then the mummy does this, and then Tom Cruise looks cool, you know. And then Tom Cruise pretends not to know what's going on, but it doesn't work because we only remember him from uh, uh, Mission Impossible movies, where the character—I mean, it's like I said—he tried to be that Jack Burton, every man. I don't know what's going on. I'm just going with the flow and trying to survive, type of thing. But we're sitting here going, "You're Tom fucking Cruise." You, we know you know what's going on because that's that's like your thing. Yeah. I, I also don't like it when both the monsters and the secret society, they're competent or incompetent solely at the demand of the plot. Like, well, like when they show up to be badass, these guys are like invincible warriors. But when it's time for the mummy to break out, all of a sudden they're the Keystone cops. Well, like, okay, like, like, like a, a good for instance is what he's talking about is how – crazy invincible were those uh were those zombie warriors on the truck when they were driving away yet you know when he's when, when they're fighting in the 
in in the what whatever place, he's able to just mow them down with a piece of wood. Right. right. And then the the secret society. Oh, we're in here and we're going to take things over and we're we're in control. But all right. So what's his face at the computer? Freaks out. Shuts off the um the mercury. Gets up. Picks up an axe. And nobody in the room says maybe we should stop that guy. That was one of the most disconnects for but, me. But I mean, think about it. If, like if that happened in your workplace, if one of your coworkers just stood up and grabbed the fire axe, I mean. Would your first response be, I'm going to go stop him right now? Or would you just be sitting there going, what the fuck is going because on? Because you know why? Is, if your business is elite vampire monster hunters, absolutely yes. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah. If you're a recruiter for a hotel company, fuck no. Yeah. Right. But you are correct. That is that is definitely a, a good point. I mean, the about. accountants in Cabin in the Woods after the monsters got out put up a bit better fight. <laughs> <laughs> I have to agree with you on that. I mean, but it's like, and it wasn't like he was just, he got up and he ran to the axe and took out the, uh, apparently the wiring is set up that if you hack out one uh, circuit box, every single one of them is going to blow out in flames in sync immediately afterwards, because I think that's just bad wiring all around. That's just science, Mike. I, I know. And I have to say, I don't understand science. I mean, but one uh, of the things, well, that's just mummy science. <laughs> one of the other things about the crow's nest is what I'm going to call it. That uh, ooh, I like that. Kind of bothered me is that we all knew from the giant promotional material that that they were trying to make a universe and do the Marvel thing. Um, and I, I felt like when they were walking through the the crow's nest and were walking by all the little things, and and Tom Cruise blatantly looks left and then looks right and then looks left just so they can show you you know here's the the hand of the creature from the black lagoon and here's the you know the fangs from vampire and here's you know i was just like okay you're 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 pushing this a little too hard yeah i mean it it pretty was i love joel's sex tape (laughs) (laughs) nice i'm touching Uh, one i could have bought another actor playing tom cruise with Brendan Fraser as Russell Crowe's character. See, I enjoyed Russell Crowe's both Jekyll and Hyde. It was some of the few enjoyable moments I had in the movie, and one of the characters I liked on screen. Just like I said, me. As Jekyll, I enjoyed watching him do his thing. I'm not like a guy that's going to run out and rent his movies on purpose, but when I watch him, I don't hate him. But You got a the, thing against Russell Crowe? No, and that's what I'm saying is that I don't I don't actively seek him out, but if he's on the screen, I generally enjoy his performances. But when he does that flip, I don't know if it was the character design or the, his portrayal or whatever. It was just it just I, didn't work. I think it was direction. That's what I think. Yeah, because I liked the idea that Hyde wasn't just the big monster. He was sort of yeah, he was physically pretty strong, but he was this Cockney agent of chaos as opposed to the refined. Uh, Jekyll. 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 Yeah, and just the, I, I kind of liked what they were doing with him, where you never see Mister Hyde try and cut a deal, and I, I thought that was kind of an interesting way to go. But it was obvious how it was going to turn out, and it was just like the whole confrontation. There were no real stakes because you know that we're both going to make it out. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, what I always rail against is that fake drama stuff. Oh yeah. Know, don't try to build up. You know, 
Like, oh, you know, someone's going to die here when the entire audience knows that's not going to happen. Right. So you may have provided the perfect segue to talk about the horrible third act. <laughs> <sighs> so the entire movie, we're told that he the ritual can't be complete. Otherwise, uh, Tom Cruise will literally be possessed by Set, also known as Satan. The world will end. That's a really, really bad thing. It should absolutely not happen. The whole movie is trying to prevent that from happening. So what does Tom Cruise do? That. <laughs> yes, he completes the ritual himself, and apparently the ultimate evil can be completely held at bay if you're sad about a girl who you slept with once and kind of like. I okay. And have very little chemistry with. Yes, and I and that's, that's the thing. It's like, at the very end of it, I mean, if they had had Tom Cruise, which I know would never happen, dies the honorable death, takes himself out so Set does not enter this world versus I'm strong enough to keep the Lord of Evil at bay. Because there's some nice in me. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of miss this girl, and that keeps me all right from keeping Satan from taking my body over completely. And where do you go from that? Like, if one of your characters on your Monster Avengers is literally possessed by Satan, and he's the mummy, I mean, apparently... You go to the desert. The big bad? You, yeah, you go to the desert, apparently... Well, I'm talking about in the future, though. Like, where do you go as a franchise if one of your characters is... Who do you even fight against if Satan is on your team? Well, that's the thing. Is like his... his I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, the comment was, he is this... You know, uh, Russell Crowe at the end is this. He's got these powers. The way he's talking about him... And I was watching this with Sophie. And even Sophie was like, Tom, cool it off, man. I mean, you are not all that. Just be... You know, let, let's go back and watch Brendan Fraser again instead of having to watch this crap. The thing is, is that I think they were warming him up to be like the dark universe or universal dark, whatever they called it, like the Captain America of this world. Or you more know? like the Doctor Doom, which... Or or Doctor Doom. That's the thing. It's like it's, it can go either way. I mean, like, I, I refuse to believe that Tom Cruise and his love for a girl that he knew for a week and a half is going to be able to keep Satan at bay. Well, but was well, the... I mean, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I just want to make my point real quick to what Josh said, and then we can move. Uh, um, but I was going to say, you could almost make the same point in the Marvel Universe, is where do you go once you introduce Doctor Strange, somebody that you know deals with extra-dimensional beings and yada yada. I mean, there's, there's you know, storytelling-wise, there's ways you can handle it. Well... It, do, it doesn't mean the death or whatever. It's not a death knell, necessarily. But look at what... Uh, to do it in your said. first movie is a little bit risque. That's the thing. It's like you didn't. You the Marvel universe went through ten movies before Doctor <laughs> right. Strange, the yeah. guy who can manipulate reality, stepped in and was like, "All right, I can do whatever the hell I want." Um, but I mean, his the thing is his character. Okay, let's compare Doctor Strange to uh uh this this dude, whatever the hell his name is, douchebag McWetty Pants. McStuffins. Yes. <laughs> Douchebag McStuffins. You've got a noble doctor who wants to save lives versus a grave robber. Yeah. I have a response, but Joel's been trying to make a point, and I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck him. Mute him right now. <laughs> Jekyll said a couple of times that in order to uh, battle evil, you have to become the monster. Or to, in order to fight the monster, you have to be the monster. And I'm wondering if the end, res- end goal of the 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 first 
however many movies they were going to have to introduce the, the main core universal monsters was to rather than fight them and stop them would be to enlist them to then take on, you know, their Thanos or their, uh, Ultron. Um, and so that you're, you're got basically a, a crew of anti-heroes. Um, and Tom Cruise, like Mike was kind of insinuating was, you know, the Iron Man or the Captain America of the group. Uh, Jekyll was your winter soldier or whatever. And, and everybody had their role and they just had to introduce them one by one and then eventually turn into the super team like the Avengers where they fought some greater evil source of whatever, you know, the Mandarin. <laughs> greater I mean, evil yeah. source of whatever. That's fantastic. Yeah. But you know what greater the problem is? Satan. That's, is that- that's my issue is that Satan is this huge cultural like embodiment of evil. It's like if Thanos, uh, like going back to your Marvel thing, it's not that his power is on a Doctor Strange level I have a problem with. It's like in the second Marvel movie, they put Thanos on the team. Right. Who do, who do you fight? Exactly. And then you direct it by Alex Kurtzman, and you know what you wind up with? Fucking Monster Squad. That's what you wind up with. Yeah. But I think that's kind of maybe where they were headed, but in a quote-unquote dark way. And I, I, I like Tom Cruise. I, I have no issue with him. I, I like the Mission Impossible movies. I loved Oblivion. I loved Edge of Tomorrow. Um, Magnolia. I like, well, yeah, Magnolia is probably his his peak um, powers of his performance, other than maybe Tropic Thunder. Um, Interview with a vampire, I would say. No. That's, what? We're not going there. We're not going back there. Um, But that ending, that last shot where he's in the shadows and he's talking to the girl that he barely knows that he's now, you know, basically turned himself into pure evil in order to save her life. It very much had a Beauty and the Beast vibe. It just didn't work, though. It just his little speech there at the end before he, you know, vanished into the shadows and then later came back um, with Jake out in the desert, who's his buddy still, apparently. Um, I don't know. It just felt really, really forced. If I, okay. First off, Jake was dead. Okay. I can't remember his character's name. I just, that's his real name. <laughs> All right. What, what is his real name? Jake right, is his so, real name. So Vale is dead. Vale, yeah. Okay. He leads him into this trap to try and do whatever. Fine. If I was Vale and Tom and Nick re, re, like brought me back from the dead, I'd be like, fuck you, man. I am not following you anywhere. You have literally caused me to die and be cursed. By what? By Satan. Why would you follow this guy anywhere? Well, he brought him back. It's like it gave him a do-over. Yeah, did but they, did he really? Did they, well, he had the power of life over death. So, yeah, I think he brought him back the same way he did Jenny. And he felt a certain probably uh, debt that he had to repay. To plus they were buddies to begin with, so he may not know. Uh, I don't know. But did they actually? Did they? This whole Satan thing is that Josh? Is that from your knowledge of set, or is that something that was said in the movie? That was said explicitly yeah, by they, Russell Crowe. They okay, completely said it in the movie. And I think that if they had just said, Seth's a really big bad guy, it would be bad for him to show up here and hadn't gone by the he's known as other names the Christian called Christians called him Satan, I have less of an issue. I still have the issue of we're supposed to be, be sad about the death of the female love interest, who I honestly can't tell you anything about her aside from the fact that she claimed to be a doctor and her name is Jenny. 
She has no characteristics. I can't tell you what she's like. Paper thin. Breasts. Yes, she had breasts. So there you go. You have two things now. Well, did you guys feel, and this was my my interpretation of the film itself, that the name of the film was not, it, it, it was led to believe that it was about the woman, who I can't think of the actress's name at the moment, um, being the mummy, but in fact it was Tom Cruise. Oh, it was completely about Tom Cruise. Okay. Yeah, and I think that that ending was probably in the original script. It's just that in the Tom Cruise re-edit, she was barely in it. Like, she was a MacGuffin for his character arc, Mm -hmm. which, like, you take the step of, hey, let's gender swap this classic monster and try and do something, and then just make her entire existence serve his character arc insofar as he has one. Holy shit, that's regressive. Which, and she was one of the most interesting parts of the film, to be honest, in my opinion, the, the character itself. Well, in all, in all honesty, the rest of the movie wasn't that interesting. Right. Well, that's true. Yeah, the bar was set pretty low, but I didn't find her interesting at all. I found her pretty. That was about it. I, I like her. She, she's, she's becoming kind of a name um, after doing Kingsman and uh, John Wick 2. Yeah, I'm not saying it's her fault. It's just the character wasn't really fleshed. Like like every character in this movie wasn't really fleshed out very much. Well, yeah, I mean, for- I think if you if you're gonna put the blame on anybody for this movie, it's gonna be Alex Kurtzman because one, he doesn't know. I mean, and granted, here's here's a statement: control Tom Cruise, be able to say to Tom well, I mean, Cruise, think no. about it. You're a rookie. You're a rookie director. Yeah. And you're supposed to control Tom fucking Cruise. Scientology can't control Tom Cruise. That's an entire organization. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? And he was he was handpicked by Tom Cruise, probably partially because he knew that Kurtzman would basically take a backseat. And why would Universal, though, if they're trying to create this entire universe, why would they put all their eggs in a unknown commodity? Now, Marvel because has, Tom Cruise again. If, if Tom Cruise says we're hiring this guy, you hire this guy. It just seems kind of like a risky gambit because I mean. I mean, you look at Marvel, they're making some smart decisions by getting indie directors and and people that don't work in the medium that they're forcing them to kind of play ball in. What what I think that their their big problem, what Universal's big problem or whatever, you know, the whole thing with this whole franchise is that they brought Tom Cruise in it to begin with. I mean, they were looking for their Robert Downey Jr. and Tom Cruise is not going to be that guy no the uh, tom cruise's ego is 10 times that of robert downey jr and robert downey jr has the hey you know what i used to be a, a unrecoverable drug addict so i'm gonna call it back a little bit well yeah i mean it's sort of like this they're making the mistakes of the way films used to be made where you go to the film to see the movie star where if you compare them to the marvel the the people are stars because of the characters they portray. I see Chris Hemsworth and I think Thor. I don't go to Thor to see a Chris Hemsworth movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's I mean, you exactly are completely like right. They've got the Invisible Man would have been a Johnny Depp movie, and this yeah. So it was it was, it is and would have been slated to be. One of the other things that I have. I, I don't want to say I have issue with, but I don't like I, – I feel like a mummy movie should be set in the 20s and 30s, just, a t- just the era of – And there should be a, a fat guy and a tall, skinny guy. And a dude in a fez. 
There was well, yeah, no dude Nefez in this movie, and I feel like I was like <laughs> robbed of something. I was seriously. I want a dude in Nefez that runs away screaming. Well, I mean, they made an interesting decision to to make a mummy movie and have almost none of it be filmed in Egypt. Yeah, and and I thought I was pretty okay with the transport to the modern era. I was less okay with the random non-mummy associated, aside from the list of uh, animals I already went over. We don't need second century crusaders or second crusade crusader knight zombies running around. Right. They they don't belong in this movie. Well, like one of the things that um that I noticed in that particular scene was they knocked the one zombie down into the water and he sank down and they got back up and then, uh, and then, uh, Aminette appears and pulls, uh, pulls Jenny down underwater and they go down underwater and suddenly that zombie's not even there. And then the zombies come out of the crypts and start attacking and that zombie's still nowhere to be seen. Like what happened to that zombie? Well, I wonder if there, there was a committee, a board, Meeting. There's always a board <laughs> and the people at universe are like, you know, we're getting our ass kicked. What do we have property wise? And they're like, you know, we've got the universal monsters. Everybody loves those. We haven't done much with it other than the Benicio del Toro Wolfman movie that didn't do well. So let's build an entire universe around this property because we've got all the, we've got plenty of characters. We got lots of movies we could make and we just figure out a way to tie them all together. And I think, and you would think, you know, as a board member, you'd go, hey, who should headline our, you know, who should be our linchpin? Tom Cruise is a pretty good pick, you know. He's, he's already on our roster. You'd think so, you know. But Okay, and I guess that makes sense because just the monsters themselves are not characters with 40 years of history the way the Marvel characters are. So you almost have to say the characters aren't interesting enough to carry this, so let's make it about the movie stars. But like I, you're already putting the wrong foot forward. I yeah. know. I I what that decision is. I mean, it's like they have they don't have 40 years of Marvel background on this. They've got 50 years of Bela Lugosi of all these classic movie stars that came and created these worlds that they could have done so much better than. It's like they could have eaten the cake, but they just wanted to lick off the frosting. Well, yeah, but I mean, to be fair, there's a big difference between having a monthly comic book for 40 years and having a two-hour movie 50 years ago. Yeah, well, but huge difference in terms of character development. Each one of those movies spawned several sequels, and there were. uh, But yeah, the the character development in the comics is clearly more than. There's a lot more that's happened since the movies. There wasn't just the movies, but think about at the time, people went to see Boris Karloff and what his next makeup was going to be, and being Frankenstein and the Mummy. You know, maybe they were thinking that we'll kind of use that same model, that if it worked for, you know, those actors, I don't know. It it was just a mess. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, I just I think that era of Hollywood maybe is not past, but we are seeing its death throes with those sort of Tom Cruise and Johnny Depp sort of performers. Like, that's not the way movies are done anymore, aside from movies that have those specific guys in them. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if you could make those movies today. I mean, we saw what happened with the Kenneth Branagh Frankenstein and we've seen what happened with the the Wolfman. Um, you know, it's the, the characters themselves can be used in other <clears throat> stories, but trying to retell the original stories are are kind of tricky nowadays because the audience, I mean, they don't want to see gothic horror that's not in right now. Um 
I don't know. And they were trying to modernize it, and it just unless it's Blade or something where it's already well. Set. I mean, I think Joel. I think what the thing is that you're, that I don't want to say that you're missing, but that you're um, you're looking at is that these movies, the Mummy, Dracula, Frankenstein, were completely new ideas to the 30s, 40s, 50s crowd. These were just books back then. I mean, now you look at The Mummy, and there's been, outside of Universal, there's been a, you know that plus a bunch of other rip-off-type Mummy movies. I mean, Scooby-Doo meets The Mummy. You know, Abbott and Costello meet The Mummy. That sort of thing that have already been out there. I think that because they're trying to modernize it, they're losing that charm of this is the first you know of the first time being seeing this type of thing does that i'm 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 not sure if i'm making sense in this but i'm like i feel that there is a the heart is missing from this movie that should be there that was not no i agree with what you had said earlier about set it in the time period that makes sense don't because if you don't you've got a mummy one dude with a flamethrower there's no more mummy yeah I mean, and, and and I wish I could say it didn't seem like, you know, that you know, I wish it didn't seem like she could be taken down by a flamethrower. All right. She probably could have. You put the flamethrower that shoots mercury, too. You may have taken her down. Um, What's up with all the mercury? Like, it was an interesting idea, but like just knowing a little bit about mercury, it's like, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Well, and, and wouldn't it have been kind of cool to see the... Uh, the kind of Brendan Fraser style of um, storytelling. Well, maybe not that seeing it set in that time period and seeing all the other movies come about being in that same era or roughly around that same time period, and then kind of maybe figuring out a way to bring them together, but introducing them all in the, in what makes sense with the stories and the characters and what we know about their limitations versus like you said, the modernized weapons, eh, they're maybe not going to last as long. Well, and maybe you want to do that eventually, but you're dealing with an undead character for your first launch. It could have been a period piece, and there's no problem with him still being around 40 years later. You make him your Captain America. Make the first one a period piece. And this is where he is when you get to the 2018. And then he teams, then Hyde is, or Jekyll is around and that's kind of what spawned it and they team up and it goes from there. I don't know. I don't know. It just, I keep hearing that maybe I I heard it was dead. And when Mike said it wasn't dead, there's some confusion on that point. Now looks like bride of Frankenstein has been indefinitely postponed, but they're still going forward with the others. Maybe after a regroup. I, I don't even know. I I mean, it's definitely a franchise that has potential and could something could be done with it. If it was done well, they just need the right director and a smart script. Well, they need. I. This is going to sound a little. I mean, they need a director with balls that's going to say to Tom Cruise, "No, this. You know, I. I great. Well, you, you can't. You can't bring a neophyte in to do that. Right. And that's exactly it. You can't bring somebody in who's not going to be. Who's going to be? Like, All right, Mister Mister Cruise, I'll do whatever you say. You know. Because I don't want to get fired and my career destroyed. You know, bring somebody in who's going to say, no, this is the way the vision of this movie goes. This is the, you know, great. I'm glad you want to get more screen time, Mr. Cruz. But you know what? That's not what this is about. Wes Anderson's The Mummy. 
<laughs> what happens? I if, would watch that. <laughs> what happens if, let's just say, the Invisible Man and Javier Bardem's Frankenstein and all these others actually come out and they're great movies. And people are like, okay, maybe this can be a thing again. Then they all have to team them up. How do you keep Tom Cruise from Tom Cruising up the, the crossover with all of them? Well, depending on his contract, they could write him out as a and write a different character in to play that role. Brought him in, he cruised all over the place. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's possible, and uh, hmm. you know, think about. You would have to bring in a director that he respects, and there's not a whole lot of them out there. Who well, you know who we need to come back and make Frankenstein again? Uh, what's his name? The artist who did the Campbell Soup labels. Andy Warhol. Yeah, Andy Warhol. Bring fucking Andy Warhol back from the dead. Pair him up with Tom Cruise and shoot the mummy. I'd watch what? that. I'm still well, imagining Wes Craven or Wes Craven's Wes Craven's Wes, the mummy. Wes, Wes Anderson's. You know, the mummy is just compulsively cleaning his his, his tissues all the time. <laughs> this is the well, most. I don't even know. Let's let's think about the the one more thing with the Marvel universe because it sounds like we're kind of getting to the winding down. But people think of Iron Man. John Favreau's Iron Man as kind of the the beginning, but technically the Incredible Hulk, the uh, Louis Letter, Louis Gossett Jr. I can't, I don't know how to say the director's last name. That was actually the initial Marvel movie. That was the first. Uh, it had the the cut scenes at the end with um, Tony Stark and um, uh, Gen- uh, General Ross talking mm-hmm. in the bar that then led into Iron Man and so forth and so on. So maybe this is our Incredible Hulk, and if they can retool and regroup, maybe the next one will be the Iron Man that gets people excited, and who knows? Maybe it'll have legs. Maybe. I mean, but keep in mind that everyone misremembers that history. Uh, Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk movies came out within months, maybe weeks of each other in the same year. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like they had four or five years to bounce back from the Incredible Hulk. But and Incredible Hulk's not a bad movie, but it's got it's got some problems, and they were trying to figure out their, what their voice was. In this movie, they've got I think a lot farther to go before they get their voice, um, and I think that's where if they're going to try and continue it, they're really going to have to sit down and have some hard conversations about what they want to do. How about the, they 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 pull a coup and they get John Favreau to direct their next movie? He could do it. Yeah. He could pull it off. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. Um, and I mean, they could, you know, pull or ooh, they get James Gunn. I was just going to say they could pull James Gunn to do the in- Invisible Man. How, I, I mean, I'm going to say everyone's going to kind of leave James Gunn alone for a little while. <laughs> there's a there's a big there's a there's a big wave of pushback about how much. Oh, yeah, it's has. it's huge. Like lots of people are unhappy with Disney. Yeah. But I mean, you, you know who I'd like to see do a, a universal horror movie? Um, Who was the um. Joel, help me out here. Who was the uh, bear Jew? Oh, Eli, Eli Roth. Roth. Eli Roth. I want to see Eli Roth do Dracula. Well, we'll see how the uh, the House of Clocks or the House of oh, the one with um Jack Black. The Jack Black. How that does? Because he um he got some credibility with uh the other movie he just did. Um, crap. He's kind of getting away from oh Death uh Death Wish wasn't terrible. I mean, I I enjoyed it. You know, we did that movie. But yeah. like somebody like Guillermo del Toro um, could pull off something. But don't don't right now he's the kiss of death for projects though. Yeah, don't. I mean, I so well, badly wanted uh, in the in the uh, uh, the mountains of madness 
to be but done look by at him. The shape of water. I mean, if I know people are weirded out by the love story, but I mean that was basically um, the the creature from the Black Lagoon in some regards. I'm not saying that the stuff he does isn't good. I'm saying that that's the only project his name has been attached to for a little while that hasn't just died in production. Or Peter Jackson, you know, um, somebody who's got a horror background but that has made Oscar caliber films, you know, get them to helm something like this or go straight indie like they did with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor Ragnarok and <laughs> Taika Waititi does the dark universe. I right. would so watch that. I'd watch it. And see, that's where the Invisible Man could have that kind of appeal because it could be a little Could bit... you imagine his take on the Invisible oh, Man? Like- I was just thinking about that would be hilarious. I would love it. It, and we, it, we just link in the uh, what we do in the shadows. You've got your Dracula, the <laughs> werewolves. You've got the wolf man. Yeah. I mean, he's Darby. two thirds of the way yeah. there. I don't know. We've, we've gotten really uh, in more in depth than this than I thought. So uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Well, I, I think for the first one, I think we're three and a half. I would we're, say I, I agree with, I think, Joel's right. Three and a half, Pat? For what? For the, <laughs> for the, <laughs> I'm for the original movie. Three, no, yeah, I know. For the what, three and a half, what? Thumbs up? Three. We are all thumbs up, but would you be like a half thumb? I, I, would, I would say I'm a thumbs up. It's, I mean, I didn't I didn't hate the movie and anything. I mean, it was enjoyable. I'm probably not going to watch it again, but I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I don't regret seeing it. It was, it was enjoyable. It just wasn't. Okay. And then and, I'm going with four, four down on the uh, now. Unfortunately, I, I mean, really, it's not, it's not a hardcore thumbs down for me. It, it was an entertaining movie, but it just wasn't really, you know, well thought out or anything. But I mean, it was, it was eye candy. It was, it was painful for me. The only interesting thing I had was finding things I liked about it. And those moments were too far, few and far between <laughs> for me. My sister and I watched it together and we did find ourselves, you know, MST 3King it quite often. I really wanted to like it. I did. I wanted to be the dissenting voice, but it just fell apart so hardcore that I just, I, yeah, I, I, I thumbs down. Yeah. Hmm. I, I tried. I agree. So Joel. Yes, sir. Next week. What do we got coming on? Uh, it is going to be something I think uh, I'm looking forward to because everybody keeps telling me I need to watch these movies and I've just kind of seen bits and pieces and stayed away. But the first one I'm a fan of, we're uh, going to be talking about Battle Royale versus The Hunger Games. Yeah, because everybody loves it when teenagers try to hunt each other down. Yes. <laughs> so are, we, are we just focusing on any particular movies in there or like the whole series versus the whole series? Or Well, uh, Battle Royale, I think, only thing. has two. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, there's oh, only two in that. So we're just going to go with the first Battle, Battle Royale versus the first Hunger Games. There might be some manga in there somewhere, but... I think it's primarily. I don't think we want to have to deal with Patrick learning how to read a Japanese manga. (laughs) No, we're going to stay away from that. So, yeah, if you want to give your thoughts on uh, where the uh, dark universe could or should go, uh, want to tell us what we forgot to talk about, because I'm sure there was something from the 1990s. Uh, mummy give us a call let us know at 708 now wrap that's 708-669-9727 yep and if you're uh, looking for our older stuff itunes blueberry stitcher talk Shoe, podverse fm noon fm and then uh uh podcast podcaster pod <laughs> iHeartRadio. radio yeah we're that on iHeartRadio radio too 
So leave us a review. Come on, let us know what you want. What do you want from us? Oh, yeah, what do you want, baby? What do you want? I'd love to give you what you want. You want Mr. more Mr. No-No's? I want a zig zig Ah, oh. Everybody wants more Mr. No-No's. zig zig Ah. <laughs> I don't want any more Mr. No-No's now. I don't know. Take us out, background, Phil. All right, I'm freaked out. I'm going to go home now. <laughs> oh, it's time for bed evening. No joke. Within 60 seconds of talking to her, I was describing the difference between a colostomy bag and a colonoscopy. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and I realized, I'm like, I don't know how I got here. <laughs>